Hello, Nancy. Hey, Shane. So uh, you just got, you just returned from vacation not too long ago. I did. I did. Yeah. A couple weeks ago. So how was it? Where'd you go? What'd you do? It was good. Uh, so I went to Washington State, did the national parks there. So Olympic, North Cascades, Rainier, St. Helens, not a national park, but... Um, but yeah, it was neat. Lots of hiking. But something really cool we found is um, my partner found us. I can't take credit for this. The, the what's called the quietest place on earth. What? I I know uh. I know uh, what it is. So it's not actually the quietest place on earth. But uh, an artist went into a point in Olympic and basically put a rock, like a little red stone, off trail back like in the woods somewhere. And the whole idea is that you're supposed to like reflect on just like just stand there, listen to nature, and don't make a freaking noise. Hmm. But like it's but, wait, but that rock marks the spot. The rock or marks the spot. So people go like look at look it up or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. it's really funny because it's like like the park knows about it all of that. Mm-hmm. There's like there is kind of a trail leading to it, but you literally have to because there's no self service or anything in there. It's in one of the rainforests, and you have to like look at this guide and they're like okay so you're gonna pass this tree that's destroyed and then walk through another tree that has a hole in it and then go over <laughs> this log in this swamp hang a left it's like literally like this type of oh, stuff oh that's fun that's kind of fun yeah so was it i mean i mean obviously you hear birds you hear sounds and things like that yeah, yeah. i mean no it was really cool it's it's because it is it's like in the center or like pretty close to the center of the park so you just listen that's just awesome. Quiet. And that's just something we don't like have in Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientists and the methods behind the science. These are the stories you won't read in the manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Shane Hamlin. And I'm Nancy Bompy. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. Okay. Well, the reason why we're talking about the quietest place on earth is today our podcast is about sound. Yeah, underwater sound. So I interviewed Bob Ziak, um, who's at NOAA in Newport, Oregon, um, and he does underwater acoustics. So they listen to the sounds at the bottom of the ocean. Very cool. So let's hear it. My name is Bob Ziak. I'm a lead in acoustics program in NOAA, and I live in Newport, Oregon, and we have a research lab down there. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about what that means to lead the acoustics program. Oh, well, we have, um, we do acoustics, underwater acoustics, so we study sound in the ocean. We do a variety of uh, different topics that we look at to look into with acoustics. We use it as a tool to study seafloor earthquakes and volcanoes. Um, we do ambient noise research, looking at the impacts of man-made and natural noise on marine ecosystems. We also do um, bioacoustics, looking at um, you know, for example, uh, big baleen whales, marine mammals, looking at their distributions uh, throughout the oceans. And so, what are you using that acoustic stuff for? I mean, other than it, you know, I mean, just getting this basis of what's down there, what it sounds like. Yeah, well, that's that's right. So, you know, what we've come to realize is that there aren't really um, any good baseline measurements of sound in the ocean, and it's been known uh, for the last decade or so that sound has been increasing in the ocean since the 1960s, also because of increasing ship traffic globally. Uh, you know, commercial sh- tra- shipping from container ships to all kinds of things. So man-made noise in the ocean is increasing. Uh, it probably has some kind of impact, but we don't really know exactly. And we don't really have good, like I said, good measurements of what 
what is normal, you know, what is, what is the sound level now. So we, we were making sound level measurements now so that we can know how things are changing in the future. And if things, if there's been impacts or changes, then we'll be able to assess that a little better. You know, there's a little big area of research on just how noise impacts marine animals, you know, what was the response to that. And so that's still kind of, in, you know, it's still coming along. It's not well understood, but it's getting there. And another part of it is that um, the Arctic, you know, the sea ice is receding and disappearing. And so that's going to be opening ship lane, shipping lanes over the North Pole. And so there's going to be more shipping going up there. And so that was once a pristine area. Now it's going to be introduced to more noise. And so our goal is to kind of assess that. I imagine there's some really wild sounds that they're getting. What do you, so if you could pick like marine animal, what kind of, what sound do you think like, What's the coolest sound you think a marine animal makes? Like, what animal do you think makes the coolest sound? I would say whales, right? Yeah. I mean, don't we know they make some cool sounds? Yeah, I I mean, I definitely, I know. I just wonder, there's probably, like, things so deep, right, that... You don't even know. You have no idea. Like, they, they're not seeing anything. They have to be communicating via sound. Yeah. I remember, like, we did that episode a couple of weeks ago about the, or months ago, about the snapping shrimp. Oh, like, yeah. Those make, like, who, like, I wouldn't have known about that. It sounds like popcorn-ish. Yeah. You Imagine know? being underwater and just, like, hearing that. But, like, what is going on. <laughs> That'd be so cool. That'd be so cool. What is your favorite recording that you've done? Do you have one? I mean, that's an odd question, question, I guess, maybe. Oh, yeah, I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like, um, I think they're really, well, like, there's a really cool one of uh, iceberg grounding. I think it's really fun. These big, it's iceberg off the Antarctic Peninsula. It broke free, you know, and it's like 60 miles long. And so it was just floating in the deep ocean, and it kind of got blown back into the, the continental shelf, and it runs aground, and it starts uh, resonating, kind of like a, you know, if you hit a tuning fork, it just starts resonating. So that's what this thing does. It just sounds this big moaning, resonating sound. It's like the equivalent of energy of about a magnitude six earthquakes. So it's a big amount of energy, but it's just this big tone. I like the ice noise uh, sounds a lot. The marine mammals are really cool. I mean, the big uh, baleen whales uh, uh, records we have with those are really cool. The blue whales. What do those sound like? Oh, uh, it's, it's really low frequency. So in my lab, you know, I've kind of uh, tried to explore how to uh, better represent sound in the ocean, you know, visually and for public outreach events. Outreach events, so I've invested in a big subwoofer, a big speaker, <laughs> so you can play these big low-frequency sounds really loud. And uh, so that's the the blue whale. Its lowest tone is about 17 hertz, and it has overtones that that's spaced up, you know, equal spacing above that, so 34 and upward. But humans can only hear down to 20. Okay. So you can't really hear it. So if you crank it really loud, but the, the big subwoofer speaker starts moving, you can kind of feel it. And you can, so that's say your experience, you can, the big, the blue, if you imagine you're right next to a blue whale, and it kind of makes you a little woozy because the air is moving back and forth. So it kind of makes you a little dizzy and a little bit of vertigo. Uh, so that's, that's how I, that's why I try to represent the sound. And it's, I think it's a cool one. <laughs> no, that's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So, you know, I guess from doing this for so long, like you can pick out what it is or, or, oh, yeah. or sometimes you like, what, what is that? Well, sometimes like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm just, I don't have any idea. Oh, we, I kind of, well, you know. Uh, every signal, every sound has its a certain frequency characteristics, and so from that, after time, you know, you begin to understand what what's making it. Uh, you know, so an earthquake is pretty diagnostic. You know, it's low frequency, under ten hertz, long duration. Marine mammal call. They're like I said, they're harmonic tonal sounds. Pretty easy to tell. Not maybe not easy to tell what species, but you can tell that's ah, probably an animal. 
air guns real simple a burst you know explosion ship noise is just kind of you know kind of higher frequency 100 hertz sound that goes on for several minutes as the ship goes overhead and you kind of you see that doppler shift you know the change in frequencies is going overhead mm -hmm, and it goes mm -hmm. away so you know after all that time you kind of see all these things oh yeah that's this is that but have this you ever been like totally confounded or surprised by anything that you've picked up and been like oh my god uh no not too much i mean most things I, I would say you know well that's you know I don't know what that is, but it's probably seismic, or I don't know what that is, but it's probably bio, you know, biology or bioacoustic. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've, I hesitate to bring this up, <laughs> but there's this thing called the bloop sound, which has been something like, that, um, bloop? bloop, yeah, bloop. <laughs> yeah, uh, that got kind of some uh, traction in the media in the late 90s, and um, somebody in the press had said they thought it was a giant squid. It was on our, it was on our website, which um, is as an unknown sound. And the thing has just gone on and on and on. It's out conspiracy theories and all these things. I think it's just an ice noise. I think it's just something from Antarctica that made noise, like an iceberg broke apart. But and I've published that, and uh, but it's still kind of it's out there. If you Google blue, you will find all the stuff about it. Okay, I need to know. I need to know what what the bloop is. Well, let's Google it. Are we gonna Google, Google it? it? Okay, I googled it. All right, what do we got? I googled it. Here's the bloop. What is that? That's a bloop. Oh man. <laughs> it's like it's like the it's like the Loch Ness monster bloop. Yeah, I love how people I think there was like a whole, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of conspiracy around this bloop. But, but I guess they, they I I'm reading here they actually it was an iceberg cracking, they think. So that's what oh, they that's yeah. like a that's like with a whimper and not a roar type deal. Yeah. Anyway, very interesting. I love the bloop. I like the bloop. <laughs> So I know you guys went out to, you've done really deep stuff. That, and that's what we kind of, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. So the where, where was the, I mean, what was the deepest stuff that you've done or what's the stuff that you've been doing recently in the deep? Uh, well, we worked in Challenger Deep, which is uh, in the Mariana Trench uh, near Guam in the Mariana Islands. It's the deepest spot in the global oceans. And uh, I've, I discovered through my research that no one had ever made a sound recording down there um, way back. There was one short one that was made during the uh, epic uh, Dive of the Trieste, which is a bath escape a submarine that was in the 1960s. Mm. Jean Picard did. But it wasn't uh, you know, modern digital record. So we built a special hydrophone mooring and put in a special pressure case that could withstand those huge amounts of pressures. Uh, and deployed it in the Challenger Deep, and it worked successfully. And how deep is the Challenger Deep? Uh, it's uh, 11 kilometers or 36,000 feet, or about seven miles. Seven miles, oh yeah. wow. So it's deep, deep, deep. <laughs> <laughs> so what are these hydrophones? That, do you have to design, you said you have to design kind of a special, you have to design a special hydrophone, or you can use just a regular, or what are these? And do you build the hydrophones yourself, or do you buy them? Or We do. Uh, that's, that was our, our big, we've been a, a program for about 20 years. And back then, we had to develop these hydrophones because nothing existed commercially. And then our very talented engineer uh, named Haro Matsumoto built a portable, we call it autonomous, but a portable hydrophone that essentially is just an underwater microphone. Uh, it's, it's a ceramic element, so it can withstand all that crushing water pressure. But it has to be in a case, uh, a pressure case. And so they're, we make them out of titanium, um, typically, because it withstand all that, that intense uh, squeezing. Uh, and that's it. So it just a little microphone sticks out of the case and you throw it over the side of uh, the ship and it sinks down. Uh, it, it takes, it has to, um, it has to take, the, it takes a little finagling because you have to have it sink at a slow enough speed uh, in order, because if it goes too quickly, it'll crack it. 
So that was the, you know, that was the skill of our lab in designing a mooring that was buoyantly, you know, could control its buoyancy well enough that it could just sink, about, sink at about 50 centimeters a second. So like it, it goes down by its own weight then. I mean, you're not like lowering it. Right, exactly. We don't yeah. put it on a wire. We just kick it over the side. It free falls. And then we try to, and the, actually the deepest part of Challenger Deep is like this little hole down there. So it's like one of those little games with the little ball you're trying to get in the hole. You, know, you kind of judge the currents and you kind of pull the ship back up and then you kick over the side. And <laughs> so, for <laughs> the 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 so for the Challenger Deep, how long did it take you to get it down there? Uh, it takes about six hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, it takes okay. a long time. <laughs> is, it, is it like nerve-wracking watching it going down there, or you're like pretty confident that it's going to um, be okay? Well, no, we're not confident at all <laughs> that it's going to work. It, uh, you know, it, it, we can range to it with a, a echo sounder, you know, a, a transducer. So we talk to it. And as you can see, it kind of go. We range to it. We see it's going down, it's going down, it's going down. So we feel confident that it's sinking at a right rate, and we know where it kind of is. Uh, but, oh, you know, all kinds of things go wrong all the time. You know, it could leak, it could be... Uh, there's just all kinds of things. It gets stuck in the mud. <laughs> there's lots of little things that crop up with moorings that makes it hard to get back. I guess not too surprisingly, uh, it was uh, a very noisy record in that there was lots of ship noise, and lots of wind and wave noise. Storms typically dominate uh, you know, wind and wave. Typically dominate a sound record in the ocean. And, that's just, and that goes all the way down to the, you know, to the bottom of Challenger Deep. They just wear the surface waves when a big storm they, you can hear that all the way down there. Oh, wow. You can hear that all So it's not quiet down at the bottom of the ocean. It's not really that quiet, no. I mean, it is quiet. Don't get me wrong. The quiet periods are really quiet, but it's still noisy at times. And we could hear surface animals. We could hear Adonis and toothed whales and baleen whales. I'm not really sure what species, but we could hear them on the records play that back. In Challenger Deep, we heard you know, all kinds of things from... Lots of earthquakes, which we sort of expected, because Mariana Trench is a, is a big active seismic zone. So lots of earthquakes. We heard... What does an earthquake sound like at that? I mean... Oh, like, like thunder. Like thunder. Yeah, that'd be the yeah. best analogy. You know, you, you play back... Um, yeah, so it's, it's the... An earthquake is, um, you know, like, like animals, and they make sound like humans. It's kind of a focused harmonic sound, you know, tone. Uh, earthquakes are just kind of noise, you know, <laughs> kind of low-frequency noise. It's like a drum, drum roll or something. And then energy gets out in the water and it propagates along. The trench, uh, Mariana Trench, is a big canyon, in a sense, underwater canyon. So it really channelizes a lot of the acoustic energy, too. So if it gets trapped in there, it kind of bounces back and forth and goes laterally and propagates along. So we were seeing all kinds of the seismic energy that way. Lots of ships, a lot of ship noise because Guam is a major shipping hub. Plus, there's a very large Navy base there. So all kinds of ships. Uh, all kinds of, and said several marine mammals. Uh, uh, most, the interesting ones are hearing the whistles of the dolphins. I think they were dolphins. They're some kind of adonisite, you know, some kind of toothed animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of they have clicks and whistles, and you can hear just this faint little whistling all the way from the surface. So that was cool. Um, air guns, unfortunately, uh, active sonar. I say unfortunately because I, you know, it's sort of noisy. But yeah. uh, so air gun is used for oil explora- exploration and oh. things or whatever, for every kind of imaging. This was a big explosion. Uh, and then active sonar, which was really impressive that we heard in the, in the canyon. I, I assume it was military probably. But it was a very loud ping. Uh-huh. And they're, kind of, they're looking for something. And so that went on for you know, a few hours. The only challenge was in the de- deployment, uh, we were on a Coast Guard ship. It's a buoy tender. It's a big ship. But uh, we were on, like, the checkout cruise for the, um, for the ship. They had a bunch of new recruits, and they, uh, they agreed to take us out there. 
And the captain wanted to test them a little bit. So it just so happened the day we went, there was a big typhoon going right over the spot we wanted to go to. And so she said, we don't care, we're going. <laughs> we literally went right into a typhoon and then just turned right around and came back. It was the worst weather I've ever been in. It was... Oh, well, in the worst weather, and you've been yeah, on ships for how, yeah. <laughs> North Pacific, you know, and this is around the equator. It's supposed to be nicer, but it was horrible. It was 30-foot seas and 60-mile-hour winds. And oh, my God. Sick and yeah. So what is that? Well, just a little bit about that. I mean, you've been on ships for many, obviously, how many years? I mean, you've been doing this for no, a long 30, time. Yeah. So what is it like, I mean, being in that kind of weather? I mean, is it, ugh, like, what is it like to be on a ship? Oh, when it's miserable. Absolutely yeah. miserable. Yeah, you can't, you know, can't focus, can't, uh, nothing, you don't, you're not hungry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to work. It's, and that's, and that's being at sea is, it's a difficult work environment f for that reason, because it's kind of unsettling, you know, and even if, when you're used to it after years, it's still kind of, it, you're out of your element. So you have to have everything really well prepared and well thought out ahead of time, because you figure that when time comes, it's just so unsettling and, you know, in the moment that it, it, it you can make a lot of mistakes and it can be dangerous. So you have to be very careful. Yeah, being seasick is disgusting. I think I touched with this in a previous episode that when I was out on the boat, it was I, I didn't get seasick because I wore the patch, but mm -hmm. it was rough. Yeah, but I get I get motion sickness on the metro. On so, the metro, yeah, I have to sit facing forward, <laughs> and if it's longer than like five stops, I can't read. I can't look at my phone. Does it matter if it's above ground or below ground? Yeah, that's what. I'm, yeah, when we when you're below ground because you like can't yeah. look out. Oh, yeah, I, I am just... not. And they like here in DC, like for people who don't know, like the metro, like they drive the trains. It's not like some automatic, right. automated, smooth ride. Yeah, <laughs> so I've never nauseating. really, I've never really gotten sick on the metro. I just, I just don't like. I just get sad because it's just dark underground. I was always that kid who had to like sit up front in the bus or like in the car because like I was gonna throw up. You bussing though? Are you okay on? The yeah, bus? I weirdly. I'm okay on the bus. Oh. I, don't, I don't know why. Maybe right. my body, body has, and you can look out the window. I guess maybe so. Maybe my you body is good on window. that. But uh, wow. uh, it is miserable when you are feeling so sick like that. And oh. to be on a boat, you can't leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't leave, and you have to do your work. Oy. I'll keep. Uh, I'll keep this in mind next time I'm on the metro with you, and we're going somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what's the next big project that you guys have coming up, or um, that you're working on? Uh, well, we're doing a lot of research in Antarctica. And we're going to be putting hydrophones on a bunch of ice shelves, ice shelves, ice sheets uh, off there as they're beginning to crack apart because of water warming and climate changing. And that stuff on the ice shelves, you actually put it on the on the ice, or you're like a little bit under, or you're off to the side, off the boat. I don't know how does that work. Yeah, uh, right. We, well, the uh, ice shelves are usually the one we've been studying is in the Ross Sea, David Glacier. It's a the fastest moving glacier in Antarctica, and it, it moves so quickly that just kind of sends this ice shelf out in the water. So it sort of floats and goes out, you know, a mile, two miles. And so we put the hydrophone moorings, this is a mooring, the shelf's out like in the mooring sitting right here. Mm -hmm. So it, it can hear all the creaking and groaning and cracking of the ice shelf. And what I'm having a poster on today is this, uh, this is called an Anson ice shelf that was part of this system. It uh, started fracturing in 1987, but just broke free in 2016. recently so we, we kind of caught all those sounds as it, as it broke free so we're learning you know kind of analyzing what what were the conditions were that led to it to breaking apart and how do the sounds help you figure out kind of the you know about the conditions how do you would you correlate the sound to what's going on kind I of do yeah, yeah well it's called we call i call them ice quakes but okay. so it's basically like an earthquake but an ice and so it makes these really impulsive little sounds and you know when a big shelf begins to crack then it's you know 200 meters thick and it's a couple miles long 
yeah, it makes a lot of ice quakes and it kind of breaks free like a fault. And so, you know, just seeing through time, you can see where I think where we saw the, the shelf break free. But it stayed put. It, it was pinned or something. It was still grounded because it didn't float away until about two months later. I think it was free floating or pinned somehow, just on its on a, like a little bit of a keel. Right. And oh. Popped it out. Pop it up. And so, uh, what's fun about working with um, land geologists <laughs> too <laughs> is that so they had all kinds of GPS sensors on this thing and seismometers. So they, you know, they knew that it, what it was doing, how fast it was moving or wasn't moving. So the GPS sensors said it was stationary. So that was another part of the puzzle. And but I say I say it broke free, but it looked like it didn't move. And so we got so it makes a story. That's, That's so cool. Yeah, because they can't. They're not looking. They're looking at the top. They can't see the underneath. Right. And f- through the we'll sound, you can actually understand what's yeah, going on. Right. That's my role is to kind of add to what we can picture from the water, the water perspective. I don't know. So I guess the the, the bottom of the ocean actually isn't all that. Quiet. No, it's like the ocean's really loud. <laughs> and I guess I was just thinking. You know, you went to the place like you said it was an artist thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here, come here. The the. I wonder what like the actual quiet place. You think it's like Antarctica, like on the ice somewhere? Like you know? Yeah. I don't know. Like what the actual quietest or, place on Earth is. Well, what about like what about the place the SETI? Aren't those the quietest places? Like where they're listening? Oh. Because aren't those actual like no device, no sound? Right. No they nothing. have to be out in the middle of nowhere yeah. like oh in the desert or whatever right is that like where they are i don't yeah, know where they i are. think so we should we should look into this that'd be fun <laughs> to talk about <laughs> all right so uh that's all from third pod from the sun uh thanks to you nancy for bringing us the story you're welcome <laughs> and of course thanks to bob for sharing his work with us uh the podcast is also produced with help from josh beiser olivia ambrosio liza lester lauren lapuma and katie brundle and thanks to kayla surrey for producing this episode we would love to hear your thoughts on our podcast please rate and review us on itunes and you can always find new episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at thirdpodfromthesun.com all right thanks all and we'll see you next time 